Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Five seconds left in the Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History final. Tie game. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out.
Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. You got a chance to see over the weekend uh, a tremendous performance by Dustin Johnson and uh, his first Masters, his second major. Joining us on the line is Mark Canizero of the New York Post, who is there, the lucky dog. You get to go to Augusta once a year. <laughs> Although you're going to get to do it again in five months. Well, don't they give it? Doesn't he get another one? No, you you, uh, you get one green jacket, and you can only wear it off the property for the year that you are the champion. So, uh, the rest of the time, it stays in your locker room, the champion's locker room, and you wear it around the you know club when you're there. But you can't wear it uh, out in public. So the one, the only time you wear it in public is you're, as, if you are the reigning champion. Are you as you were watching it the other day and you saw his four shot lead dwindle to one at about number five? Did you go, uh oh, <laughs> he's going to let this one get away? Oh, I sure did. Uh, you know, I mean, let's be honest here now. I mean, it's he was 0 for 4 and 54 with 54 hole leads in major championships. You know, not all of those were, were complete blow ups, but he's had his fair share you know, of blow ups. And he was only 10 for 20, I think he was 10 for 22 in, in his career, uh, closing the door on 54-hole leads in all, all PGA Tour events. So, you know, he had not proven himself to be a really good closer. And he was also, as you as you know from his history, he's had a lot of calamitous moments. And, uh, you know, whistling straight to the PGA in 2010 and the, the 2015 U.S. Open, 2010 U.S. Open, you get on the line. And so, yes, there's no question. I was a little concerned for him. I was actually out on the sixth hole, on the sixth green, right behind the sixth green, and he had just bogeyed five to lose that, or lose three out of the four shots of his lead, a one-shot lead. And he stuffed his, you know, his, his shot on the par three-six to about five feet. Tomley made the putt and never looked back. So, you know, all the power to him. I mean, I think he was five under in the, out of the last 13 holes of the day. Yeah, I saw him. And then he, he the league went back to four, and eventually he wins by five. Uh, he's won 15 events in the last five years, and right now is number one in the world. The thing that that uh, that I look at, that everybody looks at when you see Dustin Johnson, he's got no emotion. Uh, whether he makes a birdie or a bogey, he's got the same stoic look about him. Beating balls at the, at the 
shaggy muni and you know until the lights were turned off and, and dreaming about winning the, the masters and, and here he was him and his, with his brother on his bag at the caddy and it was it was it was a powerful moment and uh, i was really i thought it was cool to see how he reacted to it so you know i, I think it showed much more than we all thought he cared that he cared was a hell of a lot yeah he's mark canizero the golf columnist amongst a lot of other things for the new york post in new york city uh, as big as, well, maybe not as big a story, but certainly a very big story was Tiger Woods at number 12. Uh, he hits his tee shot, in, and, I, and I've always, it's always bothered me that, you know, you hit the front of that green on Sunday because the pin is traditionally in the right corner. And so you go for the pin, and you, you hit it just on the green, and if there's backspin on it, forget about it. It's going back into the water, with one exception. I was there covering it for CBS Radio and sitting at Amen Corner, when Fred Couples hit a shot that hit the hit the green and started to come down the hill and stopped, I think that's only happened once in my memory. Yeah, that was really something. Uh, I mean, that's one of the most iconic visuals that we have, you know, at at the Masters in, in its history, and uh, um, it was a very rare moment. There's no question about it. Uh, that doesn't often happen, and it's weird. I mean, this this particular week, you know, at Augusta, it was very, it was very wet. It was a little more grass, a little more more rough. You would have thought maybe it would have held up, but it didn't. But I thought the the tremendous irony of the whole situation was the fact that you know Tiger Woods won that golf tournament at number twelve last year in two thousand nineteen April. Uh, you know, that was the that was the place where the tournament turned on the final round. You know, we. Every one of his closest competitors, including a leader, Francesco Molinari, uh, you know, rinsed his ball, his tee shot in the water, as did uh, Brooks Kepka and Tony Finau and, and uh, Ian Poulter. And Tiger walked off that 12th green with a one-shot lead, and he never lost it uh, the rest of the way. In fact, he, you know, he put, you know, put the foot on the gas pedal. So it's funny how 12 giveth in 2019 and it taketh away in 2020 for Tiger. Um but obviously, he wasn't going to win the golf tournament on Sunday. He wasn't going to catch up to DJ. So by the time he came off the course, and by the way, he birdied five of his last six holes after right. that ten, which was right. just remarkable. Yeah. Um, but when he came off, you know, he, he found, you know, he was able to find some amusement in, in the humiliation of, of, uh, of having gone through that, which was the highest number he had ever posted in his career in, in a tournament. He, uh, as you indicated, he birdies five of the next six holes after that, which is astounding when you think about it. I mean, he makes a 12, a 10 rather, at number 12. It reminded me, I think Tom Weisskopf had a 13 on that hole once years ago. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, they have, I have to check, look, but I would believe you on that because you've been around them. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's crazy to think about. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, once you have a 10... On a hole, you know, there's not much to lose from there, you know, <laughs> other than maybe shooting 90 or something like that. And uh, as I said, he rallied and somehow shot only a 76 on that that round. When you think about it, he shot four over par when he was seven over on uh, on one hole. So uh, not much to lose, and he just kind of you know let it loose and, and uh, you know had a laugh about it afterwards. But it's certainly when you're in the middle of that, and I thought Tiger put it very well. You know, that's when golf can become a very lonely sport because, you know, the manager's not coming out to tap you on the shoulder on the mound to right. take you off and, and put, you know, put a, a relief pitcher in. And, 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 you know, the basketball coach or any other coach in a team sport is not coming out to replace you. you you just you got to finish the hole. And we've all been in that situation before. I actually myself, 
you know, certainly not competition at all, but I was on that co- in that place the first year that I won the lottery to play Augusta. I had the shanks, and uh, I couldn't get all airborne. And I, I mean, it was it was nothing was on the line other than just I just you know it was my one chance to play Augusta National. I wanted to make it special, and it was harrowing. And I, you know, I played every shot and and. and you know, marked the score down on every hole. I shot 113 that day, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, it was it was scary. I mean, it was you know, I shot I shot 64 in the back nine, Howard. <laughs> you should have done because I couldn't get a ball airborne. Yeah, you should have done what John Rahm did and skip it across the water. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell you what, I did really on 15. I was such a chocolate mess by the time I got to 15. I just about putted it around the Rays Creek and over the bridge just to get it onto the green because I just didn't want to put another ball in the water. But anyway, my point is, I mean, you know, not to compare my, you know, crap game to Tigers, but we've all been through it, you know, and, and you know, yeah, I mean, we're, we're amateurs, we can decide, oh, I'm just going to pick up, you know, I'm, I'm done, which we all do, but, you know, you can't pick up at the Masters and move on to the 13th and say, just give me a triple for that for my handicap, you know. You got to power on, and you got to you got to get through it. So it was uh, it was really you know, and listen, it's fascinating for all of us as amateurs to see that happen to you know one of the greatest players of all time. Well, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, Amanda Balionis is getting ready to interview, and I'm thinking to myself, what happens if I had the chance to interview Tiger uh, on Sunday in that very same situation? And I I kept thinking about it. I said, you know what I would have said to him, Tiger? There's a hundred. Uh, there's 150,000 men right now watching you saying, I could have done that. <laughs> you, you could have and have. You know, most <laughs> of us all have. Uh, I, so. I played the, you played the course. I've played the course twice. My first year was memorable to me on so many levels because it was 86 when Jack Nicholas won at the age of 46. Wow. And I got a chance to play uh, the course on Monday afterwards. And I remember getting to the golf course at 7 o'clock because you have to. That's that's the law. And so I go to the driving range, and I meet my caddy, and uh, uh, he said, uh, he said, There's, don't worry about the fence back there. It's plenty of distance away. So I busted as good a tee shot as I could hit, and I short hopped the fence. Uh, and then the caddy says to me, Mr. Daly hit it over the fence from back there yesterday. <laughs> And I'm saying, I said, thanks. You really made me feel good. It made my day. Yeah. Right. So you, you get to play the course, and I played it the first time. I played it starting at number 10. And as you well know, there's, yes. people, there's people around the tee box uh, because that's when yeah. the, 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 all the pros bring their sponsors and so on and their other invited guests. And so you're saying to yourself as you're on the tee, just hit it that way. Just that direction. Don't care if it goes in the woods. Don't just that way. And there's a lot of pressure. Don't hit it where Rory hit it in 2011, down, down, you know, down yonder to the left where the, uh, where the members' cabins are. That's where you don't want to be. No, exactly. So I, I mean, I just I took a deep breath and I busted as good a t-shirt as I get down the middle. And I'm getting an ovation, Mark. I'm looking around, going, who are they applauding for? <laughs> I have no idea. It's a lot of pressure, though. But there's no doubt about it. And we're playing from the members' tees. They're playing from the championship tees. Yeah, I mean, listen. The difference for, for you know for hacks like us is you know when you're when we're playing the golf course, you know we're thinking you know and in most cases it is, it is the case that's the only time in our lifetimes that we're going to get to play Augusta National. You want it to be special. You want to try to play well. And uh, and frankly, for 
you know, when you look at that golf course, it's, it's incredibly inviting because the fairways are very wide and there's no real trouble in the rough. And even if you're in the trees, you can punch out from the pine straw. You know, other than the water, you know, hazards, you know, obviously on 16 and, and uh, you know, at Race Creek, you know, weaving around, you know, 12 and 13 and whatnot. There's not a ton of trouble there, you know. The greens are really the defense there, you know. You know, but you want to play well. And I, and I remember when I went there for the first time, I thought to myself, "I'm a decent. One thing I can do decently is drive the ball." So I'm like, "I'm thinking I can play pretty well here." And you want to do it, you know, because you think it's your only shot, you know. And that's what's really, that's really gets you, you know. And uh, um, you know, so I've, I know you felt the same thing. I'm sure you did when you played there for the first time. You don't know you're ever going to be there again. Yeah, no. I was lucky enough to get it out there again and, you know, and play better. It didn't have the shanks. But, boy, when you're in the middle of it, you know, as Tiger said, you, you're, you know, it's, it's you and a golf course out there, and, and nobody's going to help you out. Well, I did get to play five years later, and I got paired with Julius Irving, who was a guest of CBS. And we get to the first tee. We're playing off number one, and, Ty, uh, and Julius says to me, go on, take us out. I said, Doc, do you think all these people came to see me around here? You have the honor. Come on. He goes, you're afraid. I said, no, I'm not afraid. I'm just giving you the honor that you deserve. So he hits a nice tee shot down the middle. I think Julius at the time was a 15. And I had, was playing the best golf of my life. I had gotten my handicap down to an 8. And so I felt pretty good about what was going on. And so he hits it down the middle, and he says, hey, I beat that. So I, I, I drove him by 40 yards. So we're walking down the fairway. He goes, where's your ball? And I said, keep going. We get to his ball. He hits his second shot. He goes, where's your ball? I said, keep going. We finally get to my ball. He goes, that's not your ball. And I said, Titleist one with a black dot on it. He gets over there, looks at my ball. He goes, well, you're right. I owe you an apology. Well, the story was not me. For the next 17 holes after that, Mark, he was, now keep in mind, it's Monday, and you get a lot of maintenance people on the golf course cleaning up. He was stopped by no less than 200 people, either for a picture or an autograph, and he obliged every single person. get back to Namath in a second, but uh, let, let me go further. Uh, very impressive performance by Bernhard Langer. Finishes three under for the tournament, so he is the oldest person, uh, had the lowest score at the age of, what was he, six, is he 61? 63. Oh. He's the oldest player in the history of, this, of the, of the uh, tournament to, uh, to make the cut. Wow. Just to make the cut, which is amazing. Well, at three so under, I, too. You know, Yeah. You know, and he's like, I, you know, he said, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, how much, you know, what's the, what's the driving distance difference? 
And Bernard said it was, you know, anywhere between 40 and 100 yards, depending on the hole. Wow. So when Rory, about you know, a little short time later, Rory came out, and when I relayed that, the 40 to 100 yards, Rory said, I'd like to know what the 40 was. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and certainly in a very fun, nice way. But Rory said, he said, I can't comprehend the clubs that he's hitting. He said, for me, that's like me playing an 8,500-yard course. What Port Longer is playing right now, like if you, you know Rory, who's Rory McIlroy has as good a perspective as anybody in the sport, was I mean he literally said he said that is like me playing an 8,500 yard golf course. That's what Bernard Longer is doing, you know, to keep up with everybody. Which is and and the man finished under par for the for four days. I mean it's just remarkable. And, you know, I, I believe that the the rule at Augusta is you can play until you're 65. And, and then they kind of shut it down because years ago, when I first started covering the Masters, when you first go in there, um, which was before me, the rule for the past champions was you could play until you die. But that kind of you know, then you had guys like Charles Cootie. No offense, I'm just throwing a number, name out. You know who were playing and they were holding the golf course up because they're you know in the first first or second round because they're you know you know whatever they're shooting a hundred. So they kind of modified it and, and said, well, you, you know, obviously every past champion is invited back for the champion's dinner and to spend the week and all the spoils, but you can only play in a competition until you're 65. Well, let me tell you something. Bernard Longer looks like he can make the cut till he's 70, you know, or, or, or longer, right? So are they going to what, what if Bernard comes back and makes the cut next year and the following year when he's 65? Are they going to tell him he can't compete in, when he's 66? <laughs> when he's made three cuts in a row? Now, you know, that's obviously that's a little far off. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, this guy is, I, I'm just trying to paint a picture of how remarkable this guy is. Uh, and, and as a bonus, after playing with Rory on Saturday, guess who he played his final round with? You know, probably, right? Bryson DeChambeau on Sunday yeah. he played against. Yep. Played with. I mean, you know, it's just it's incredible. Can you imagine, you know, you know I mean, longer is hitting, you know, but singles down the middle of the fairway, and then, and, uh, you know, and DeChambeau sitting drives like Barry Bonds home runs. Uh, so just very, very funny, just really cool juxtaposition the last two rounds for Bernard, and, and what an amazing performance. And speaking of DeChambeau, he was the heavy favorite going in. What happened? Uh, I read somewhere where he had dizzy spells or something during the last round. Fill me in. Well, Howard, I, in my opinion, I think that Bryson, I love Bryson. I think is a fascinating guy. I, I, I nothing but respect for where he's taken his game in such a short period of time, really in the last year, um, and become the story in the sport. But I feel like Bryson sometimes takes out a little too much in the way of just too much drama seems to follow Bryson. You know those athletes where just drama always seems to follow them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I really, you know, Bryson came into this this week, you know very, very publicly tinkering with a 47-and-a-half-inch driver, which is just under the, the, the allowed regulation of 48 inches to, to add even more length, like he would need more length. I don't know why he would need more length, but I, whatever. You know, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other show, podcast. But anyway, he came into the week ex- still experimenting with the 47-and-a-half-inch driver, you know, playing practice rounds with it and getting shafts and heads fixed and replaced. And You cannot go into a major championship let alone Augusta National, period, tinkering with your game and trying to find it. You need to come in come in there ready to compete with what you have. You know, you may find a little something on the range. I get that. But you can't come in there messing around with equipment and all kinds of stuff. And I think it caught up to him. I mean, I just think it was, it was too much on his plate. 
and you know that that is naturally going to affect your concentration. Now, at the end of the day, he didn't use the 47 average driver in competition, but he'd been working with it all week. And then he had a couple bad things happen to him. You know, the lost ball on uh, in his second round on Friday. I believe it was the second round on the third hole. Ironically, it was the second round. Ironically, the two holes that Augusta was concerned that, that Bryson was going to embarrass, you know, kind of the the golf gods at Augusta were the 13th, which is, you know, the, the iconic par five, where Bryson was hitting wedge in on his second shot in the practice rounds. And number three, which is the shortest par four on the golf course, which is uh, 350 yards, where Bryson was, was reaching the green in the practice rounds with driver and three wood. He was having to dial back his driver to, to reach a par four green in, 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 uh, off the tee. So how ironic that he made a mess of 13 in his opening round. I mean, he was all over the yard, you know, blocked his driver to the trees, you know, hit his second shot into the azaleas, fluffed a chip, you know, and all kinds of things. Took a seven on that on, on Thursday. And then on Friday, on, on, the, on the part, on, on, on number three, the, part, the short part four, where he was kind of bragging that he was driving it all week, he hits a driver that's left of the green, in, and it's in the little rough area, and it was wet. I'm sure it plugged, and they couldn't find his ball. He had to go back and re-tee and hit the same shot. They found his ball, and uh, he ends up taking a triple bogey in the hole, and he's, he's done. He can't win a golf tournament with, you know, with, a, with a double and a triple. And, uh, you know, the crazy thing was uh, Marshall found the ball while Bryson was up on the fourth tee, teeing off. Brought from the balls here, I found this. <laughs> so to add to the humiliation. So I mean, it was a weird week for him. And then after his second round, um, Bryson spoke about the fact that he just had not been feeling well. Um, when he completed his round on Saturday, he spoke to us. He had not been feeling well uh, on Thursday and Friday he, to the point where he actually went and took a COVID test on Friday night to be certain, which which fortunately tested negative. Um, but he said he had some dizzy spells and his stomach wasn't right and. You know, and listen, I never questioned any any athlete, you know, on his or her injury. You know, we're not in their bodies, but, you know, the, the shame is it kind of looked like it came off as an excuse, you know, if you're being a cynic. Uh, I'm not saying he wasn't sick, because I'm sure he was not feeling right. I mean, I know Louis Eustuzin, who played with him the first two rounds, said he didn't look right. Uh, but, again, drama. Too much drama. You know, you, you need to... You know what? You know the least drama going into this golf tournament, Dustin Johnson. Yep. Right. I mean, he, you know, the guy was a number one ranked player in the world, and hardly anybody was picking him to win. Although, if I may pat myself on the back, I did in the <laughs> post pick him to win. Yeah. yeah. But again, that's not. I'm not. I shouldn't pat myself too hard because he's ranked first in the world. But, uh, but you know what? Dustin Johnson deflects all the attention, is low key, and and he comes in and he blows away the field by five shots in a tournament that everybody thought Bryson was going to win after what, they, what he did at Wingfoot with high, rough, and narrow fairways. It just shows you, you know, it's too fickle. And I just think at the end of the day, there was too much drama going on with Bryson, and he'll get over it and move, and learn from it and, and do amazing things, you know, probably at the next major, which happens to be Augusta. I know the TV ratings in Australia were high with Cameron Smith in contention and Sunjay Im uh, from South Korea, same thing, finishing at 15 under five back. Uh, interesting about him. You watch him. My God, he's got more sponsor identifications on his shirt and his hat. <laughs> you remember? The, you remember? The, remember the back in the day when the tennis players had about had patches all over yeah. their shirts and hats and and and, and uh, armbands, you know, or, you know, with sweatbands and all that kind of stuff. It looks like that, or it looks like a NASCAR driver, even yeah. more so, even more contemporary, right? No, uh, it's uh, it's that's a dream for Augusta National, Howard, because as you know. They have been at the forefront of promoting the game internationally, 
and you know obviously promoting their brand so let's not make it all altruistic but uh, you know with so they have done so much uh, promotion and stuff with in Asia and uh, you know and, and, and inviting so many Asian players over to play and, and in Australia as well and uh, you know what a dream you know kind of ending for them or you know final day or two with those guys in the mix you know as you stated you know the TV ratings but people were probably they were up at all hours of the night watching watching Cam Smith and, and some JM play yeah and two guys I'm always fascinated and I guess they're friendly too Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy finished a shot apart Thomas was minus 12 McIlroy minus 11 I watched Justin Thomas and I'm thinking to myself this guy should never lose a golf tournament I mean he's got an incredibly perfect swing uh, the perfect temperament. Uh, he, I mean, he's, he doesn't have any weakness in his games, and it's he's going to win more. He's going to be on. He's going to win a lot more. Oh, there's no question. I mean, you know, I think sometimes JT can run a little hot um, and get a little down on himself when things aren't going well. And you know, he just you know he like Rory just kind of couldn't get it. Rory couldn't get it going the first round. Rory just he shot 75 in the first round and. Ended up finishing. I don't know what his final number was. Eleven under or something. Or oh, maybe he, he was more than that. Can't remember. No, he was eleven. He was eleven. Yeah, he was eleven. Right. Um, and I, you know, JT, I think, got a little frustrated. Just couldn't get it going. Wasn't seeing putts drop. And uh, you know, played a, a good golf tournament, but not a great golf tournament. And uh, I, I, you know, it, referencing Rory again. You know, speaking to him on Saturday. You know, after his second round was over. I mean, he was like, or yeah, his third round was over. I'm sorry. You know, he's like, you know, he shot 11 under in the in, in, in his in his second and third rounds after after shooting 75 in the first. But he shot him. You know, they always say you can't win the golf tournament on Thursday, but you can lose it. And he kind of lost the golf tournament on Thursday. And you know, I, and he he admitted to feeling a little tight and tentative. And you know, he's trying to win his career Grand Slam. You know, or become the sixth player to do so. The Masters is the only one that's missing on the on the on the, on the resume to be checked off. And this was his sixth go-round trying to do it. And, uh, you know, it's human nature to think about that. And, and, and I'm sure, you know, there's, everybody has, has internal pressure. And uh, Rory admitted to being, you know, tentative. I, you know, I think I, I'd like to think that in April of 21, Rory's going to come out on Thursday. Hopefully he'll come in in good form. And just kind of play loose and get after it, you know, and, and not play tentative. And, and, and Rory plays his best when he's swinging freely. I guess we all do. I, I suppose that's kind of a dumb statement, but it, but Rory is an actual player, um, so hopefully he'll do that and he'll learn from that um, and not be tight early on and try to play not to lose or you know you know what I mean. You, you, you have to get after it. So. Yeah. But you have to do it smartly too, uh, as you know, because you know the trouble that lurks around that place. He's Mark Canizero of the New York Post. Not only covers the Masters, also you uh, have covered the Jets, and you brought up Namath. Uh, Namath made his mark by playing in New York and and all the glory and riches that he achieved, a lot of it had to do, well, first of all, winning Super Bowl three certainly carried him a long way, but playing in New York, and it brings up the thought of Trevor Lawrence, who's likely to be the number one pick in the draft, uh, and the way it looks right now, the Jets are going to get the number one pick in the draft, and I wondered if he would pull an Elway slash Eli Manning and ask to be traded rather than to play for the Jets, but I don't think so. I think he's going to be the number one pick in the draft, He's going to play in New York where he can achieve a lot, and he'll struggle a little bit with the Jets. I get that. But look what the, the possibilities are if the Jets are able to put some things together with this kid. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Howard. I, you, know, you know, everybody's so negative on the Jets, and obviously they bring a lot of, a lot of that on themselves, of course. 
but I don't really believe that Trevor would would try to pull an end around like that. I I don't, I don't know the young young man. I just only what I've seen on TV and you know spoken to people who know him a little bit. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy to me, you know. And uh, um, I'd be really surprised if he if he pulled that, and I'd be even more surprised if he stayed in school. I mean, I think. I think Dabo Sweeney's telling him to, to, to leave. I mean, you can't you can't risk injury when you're going to be the number one overall pick. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I would be be surprised. Um, and listen, I mean, here's the thing too. Everybody makes a big deal about the Jets. If the Jets don't get them, then the Jags will get them, or, or another one of the really bad teams in the league right now. And you know, I mean, you're nitpicking, and it's if, you, if you're going to say, oh well, the Jags are this much better than the Jets, or their organization's better, or whatever. Any team that's picking number one for the most part, it's a bad team. You know, unless there's some crazy, you know, situation or scenario where somebody acquired the number one pick from another team in a trade, but, you know, you know, previously and that team finished poorly. So I just, you know, I mean, the Jets, the Jaguars, you know, name, name the next worst team in the league. Um, what's the difference? You know, I mean, you're not going to a, a ready-made team. You're the, when you're the number one pick, the point is, you're the number one pick because you're here to hopefully you know be a building block for one of the worst teams in the league and or maybe the worst team in the league hopefully so i, I don't think he'll pull that you know i think nobody knows what's in trevor's heart um and, until it's time um and who will be in his in his ear you know in terms of advice but you know i think it's silly to you know listen i it's easy to beat up on the jets we all do it you know because they're they've been vastly unsuccessful certainly for the last 10 years and for more years than the, you know of their existence than not, and uh, but the bottom line is, I think right now Joe Douglas, their their, their general manager, um, you know, I mean, again, he's you know he hasn't done a great job so far, and he's only in his second year, but you know his pedigree is pretty good, and we need to give him a chance to build a team, and uh, you know they've got some young building blocks on the team now, and. Uh, you know, let's see what happens. But uh, you know, listen, the Jets are no lock. I mean, Jacksonville's scuffling just as well. They're only they got one win, so you know we'll see what happens with that. But uh, right now, uh, yeah, it's a hard it's hard to see the Jets winning a game this year right now. Especially Sam Darnold is, is now pronounced out again indefinitely, not going to play this week. Um, you know, with his shoulder situation. Um, although I'm not sure that makes much of a difference. I think the Jets have at least as good of a win chance to win with with. Joe Flacco quarterbacking, I hate to say it, but that's just the, it's the way it's been. So, yeah, well, they, they, uh, they probably should have beaten New England last week. They had they had a chance. Should have, no question about it, they should have. Um, speaking of uh, Trevor Lawrence, look at it this way. He becomes the number one pick of the draft by the Jets. 50 years from now, he does uh, Medicare commercials like Namath's doing. <laughs> I'm sure he'd sign up for that right now. <laughs> hey, Mark, always great talking to you. Uh, I envy you, man, because you make that trip. That I haven't done it in a, in a number of years, but it's a great trip covering a great golf. I think it's the greatest golf tournament in the world. People will say U.S. Open. Mm-mm. It's Augusta National, right? Well, Howard, I don't take it for granted. Uh, you know, this was my 26th in a row, and uh, every one of them I cherish, and, I, and especially certainly this year, you know, being one of a very, very select few, you know, that were credentialed for the event. Um, I never take that for granted, and it's it's an amazing event. Um, I don't. I have a hard time imagining that the Masters is going to be back to the Masters of old in in five months from now, with with the state of you know, where we are as a country, with the with the virus. Uh, you know, at best, I think maybe they'll have 
a very limited amount of patrons in on, on the grounds, but I can't imagine that we're talking about, you know, having having a full full grandstands, you know, in five months from now. I don't think you're going to see that probably until 22. Yeah, probably not. Thanks again, Mark. Appreciate it, and stay safe. Thank you, Howard. Talk to you soon. He's Mark Canazero of the New York Post. And he gets, he gets a chance to do that tournament, man. Are you kidding me? That is so much fun. They got a different, a different um, vocabulary there, you know, because it's, it's, um, it's patrons. It's oh my goodness. It's I mean they got so many different words to use. My goodness. Hello. Oh, Rick, it's Howard. David, how are you, sir? Uh, what's, uh, I was just talking to Mark Canazero. He writes for the New York Post, and he covers the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, do you play golf? Uh, not very well. well. I hit the ball, but yeah. <laughs> yes, a lot of people just hit the ball. We all know that. But, I mean, I, I've been down to Augusta like 14 times to CBS Radio, and it's, oh, I mean, awesome. you walk in, onto that place. I mean, it's like walking on into South Bend onto the, into Notre Dame. It's 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 a um, it's an iconic place that has so much tradition. Yeah, no, it's a cathedral. I mean, I, I, I it's on my bucket list. Howard, I just <laughs> had a chance to do it. Well, um, you're writing for you're covering the the, the Tampa Bay Bucks for the Trenton uh, Tampa Times, and the Bucks bounced back from a disastrous loss to New Orleans, thirty-eight to three. Uh, and after uh, a resounding romp on Sunday over Carolina, 46-23, in a game, actually, the Carolina had a 14-7 lead. Yeah, they did. And, uh, you know, they had an early turnover in that game. Obviously, uh, you know, Ronald Jones uh, put the ball on the ground, which he's done before he did it uh, against the Giants. And, uh, you know, talking to, to uh, you know, B.A. after the game, he said that the difference was he didn't go in the jar. He stuck with him. And, of course, he was rewarded with a 192-yard rushing effort, including that 98-yard uh, run, which is pretty rare. And, uh, you know, that it was important at the time of the game when he got it. Then to get the interception, to kick a field goal. And, and uh, you know, it, it was certainly – you know, look, Carolina's not a great defense. Uh, they have a lot of trouble on third down. I think the Bucks had 80 offensive snaps. So that game, you know, got out of hand in the second half. But uh, but it was, it was tied at halftime. And – you know, the Bucks needed a bounce back. They needed to, to boomerang from what was just, you know, a, a horrific uh, performance. And they've had trouble on national TV and primetime games. So, uh, you know, this was this was important going into this stretch where they've got, uh, you know, not just the Rams on Monday Night Football, but also, you know, a big, uh, CBS, uh, you know, game against the Kansas City Chiefs after this, both at, at Raymond Jam. Rick, I, uh, uh, I made this statement. Uh, after they got pounced by, uh, uh, they got beat up by New Orleans. I said, "What I know of Tom Brady, you know that he is going to be. He wishes the next game was the next day, because he, I feel sorry for Carolina because I think he's going to take it to him. And look, I'm not a prophet. I just look at I look at Brady's track record, and that says a lot. So I'm not surprised by the performance of Brady. Three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown." Uh, no interceptions. He, uh, uh, I mean, throws for 341 yards. I mean, you knew that Brady was going to come out smoking. Well, I, I did. I mean, I figured he would. He's, he's always bounced back, and that's, that's something that they can really count on. They haven't lost two in a row this year. 
Um, I, I think the key was they, they made some some offensive line changes. You know, uh, going against New Orleans, um, they weren't they obviously had trouble on the left side. You know, with Joe Hay trying to play guard, filling for Ali Marpet, who's been out now two weeks with a concussion, and you know they, they went to AQ Shipley, who's a guy that's been with Bruce for years at center, and then moved Ryan Jensen to guard, and the communication was great. Again, Carolina does not rush the passer very well, but uh, but but Tom did have a good day. The weird thing is. He missed three guys for touchdowns. I mean, if you go back and watch, he's got Antonio Brown early in that game on a post. Ball sails on him. Uh, you know, didn't hit that one. And then, uh, really, two touchdown passes. Uh, you know, one to, to uh, Mike Evans and another uh, to Tyler Johnson that, that he kind of hummed away. Um, so, I mean, they could have hung 60 on these guys. And, you know, it just goes to show you that, you know, it, as well as they played 500-something yards, um, and the defense did a good job in the second half. I think they held, you know, Carolina at under 40 yards. You know, there's a lot more that this team can do. There's a lot. There's still a lot of improvement they can make. It's still a, a work in progress. So, you know, Brady's always said the season begins after Thanksgiving. We're about a week away from that. And, uh, you know, if they can get themselves, you know, straightened out and, and uh, a little fine-tuned uh, on offense in particular, uh, you just don't know what they could be heading into January. 544 was the actual number. They hold Carolina to a buck 87. The distribution of the football, and people were going to look at Antonio Brown, and he had seven catches for 69 yards. Godwin, six for 92, and Mike Evans, six for 77. This comes a week after Bruce Arians in the postgame presser said that Mike Evans was open all day long. He just wasn't targeted. A subtle shot at Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, I think they missed him a few times, or Tom did, and, and uh, you know, they certainly made an effort to get him the ball early in that game. I think you have to do that with, with uh, your top receiver on the team. Um, you know, nothing went well, you know, in that New Orleans game when you fall behind like that. And, uh, you know, it, it helps Howard to have 80 offensive plays. Everybody's got to touch the ball when you have that many snaps. Uh, but Mike was a factor in that game. He, he, he made a great throw on third down over the shoulder to him, um, you know, obviously got him in the end zone once and uh, missed him a few times, but uh, you got to get Mike Evans involved. I think, I think even though Brady missed the post, the deep post to Antonio Brown, because he, he was open so easily, you know, that, that got the attention of Carolina and they started putting a safety over Antonio. And, and you know, we talked about when he came here, um, there's only so many footballs, but in, in a way, he may create some, some better opportunities for Mike Evans and some one-on-ones, and, and that happened in the game. So, uh, again, you know, when you can line up three future Hall of Famers, I think, uh, at wide receiver, plus a Chris Godwin, um, you know, and you have Ronald Jones running the ball the way he did, uh, it's a very dynamic offense. It's just they haven't been consistent. Uh, they're going to have to be at the top of their game against a great Rams team on Monday night. Again, another redemption opportunity on, on a national stage that uh, that they need to take advantage of. So uh, everything is still right there for them. And, you know, we haven't gotten to the fact that the New Orleans Saints could be or will be without Drew Brees for a number of weeks. Uh, let's go back to the receiver call before we address the Saints. Um, I don't know if there's another team in this league that can boast three talented wideouts like they have, plus Gronkowski, I'm not even going to mention Ronald Jones. He speaks for himself. But uh, Antonio Brown, uh, I mean, he's been away from the game for a while. How did he look to you? Did he look like he was just, uh, he had just picked up where he left off or he still has some ways to go? 
Well, I mean, he had played in a year. I, I, I think he certainly made a big improvement from the first game to the second. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that the guy is always kept himself, keeps himself in incredible shape, and he gives them Howard something they don't have, which is you know a guy that's a, a kind of a quick twitch receiver. You know, in many ways, Mike Evans is, is sort of a long strider, a, a down the field type of guy. Um, you know, Chris Godwin can can play anywhere. He's a, more of a physical combat catch type guy with tremendous hands and strength, and he can also run. But, you know, there's very few players that are as sudden as Brown is when he gets the ball in his hands, whether it's a, you know, a screen or, or you know, just anything over the middle of the field. You know, he's, he's one slip tackle away from maybe, you know, going to, going to the house. And you have to respect his, his quickness and his speed. And I think that that's what's going to, you know, as they go along and they try to fine-tune this thing with Byron Leftwich, with Tom, um, whatever input Bruce Arians has, I think having those guys on the field, you know, as much as they can practice together, as much as they can stay healthy, it's going to be huge. And and I really do believe that um, they can get a lot, a whole lot better um, in the remaining games they have on offense. And, And, you know, we saw how quickly they can, you know, turn around a scoreboard. I mean, 46 points with a chance to really get almost 60 in that game, um, you know, it just happened really quick because they, they were sitting there, um, you know, with 21 at halftime. So it's it's an exciting prospect for them, and yet, um, you know, there's there's an awful lot of football to play. Yeah, and there's no question. He's Rick Stroud of the Tampa Times. Uh, when I look at this team, and I was talking to Bill Parcells about a week ago, and Bill and I go back a long way when he was defensive coordinator with the Giants, and then we were together when I was broadcasting the Jets when he was the head coach, and I asked him, who is the most complete team in the NFL? He gave me one in each conference. He gave me Pittsburgh in the AFC, and he gave me Tampa in the NFC. The most complete team. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, I think you look for balance. First of all, you, you know, there's only, I think Sean Payton said this at the beginning of the year, that, that, that legitimately... There's probably about four teams that have a chance to lift the trophy, you know, every year. And maybe there's a little more than that as the season progresses. But, you know, you knew Kansas City was going to be in that conversation. Um, you knew Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson is an MVP-type player. So you look for those iconic quarterbacks, and you look for the teams that have been together for a while. You know, Roethlisberger comes back. You have continuity and coaching there. Um, and then, you know, Brady's trying to do something that's really, really hard. I mean, it's 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 rare a guy spends 20 years someplace and then changes. Um, but he came here for a reason. That's because he's surrounded by good players, and they've added to that. And, you know, the Bucks at the beginning of the year had a chance. Obviously, the Saints have been, you know, in the conversation to the championship game with Drew Brees, the continuity that they have with Sean Payton. And I think that's been their edge over, over the Bucks this year. They got him in week one. No preseason, no time really before that game to, to be together. Um, and they lit them up on a Monday night when, when the Bucks just were, were really off and didn't play well and they had some injuries. So um, I, I think as they go forward, that you know whether they win the division, that remains to be seen. But um, they're one of those teams, and, and, and the balance they have, because they're also pretty good on defense. And it's a lot easier to play defense that we've seen this year without the turnovers, without being, you know, down 10 to nothing, 14 nothing. They play very well when they got down to the Saints um, you know, the other day. So, uh, you know, the good thing about them is that they, 
I think they all understand that this is about going to the Super Bowl, um, and they have those expectations, and, and they still have them. Uh, you mentioned Seattle. I was very high on Seattle at the beginning of the season. As a matter of fact, I said Seattle, Kansas City, Super Bowl. Well, I've got my doubts. Um, Seattle's dropped three of their last four. Coincidentally, Russell Wilson has thrown seven interceptions in three of the last four games. Uh, so now they find themselves tied, although Arizona technically has the tiebreaker. But they're going to meet on Thursday. Uh, they're going to meet on Arizona-Seattle uh, what a game that sets up to be in view of what happened last weekend. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, Seattle's problem and Russell's to some degree lately has been their defense just isn't as good. It's, it's not what it has been in the past. And they rely so much on Russ bringing them back um, and doing so much offensively. Uh, he needs a little bit of help. And, and, and so when I look at them, I don't see what I see in New Orleans or Tampa um, or maybe even the Cardinals, although I haven't made you know, much of a study of them of late. Uh, but, but you don't you don't see the balance on both sides of the ball. We know that when you get into January, you know if you have to go to a Green Bay, if you have to you know play up north, um, you're going to have to play some defense. You're going to have to run the football. You got to be consistent, you know, in, in, in not turning the ball over. And um, you know those are all things that you know that Brady has done throughout his career. And you know it's just. Um, there's, there's some teams that are now starting to get exposed, and that's why, you know, teams kind of play for position up until Thanksgiving. But then you really find out who has that little bit of an extra boost, you know, that, that starts to get better and starts to pull away a little bit, you know, that final month of the year. And, and that's the conversation you want to be in, and that's why these next two games are, are so important and so critical for the Bucks because they can really put a stamp on their season if you can – you know, beat the Rams, who are going to be in it and, and competing, not just for a division title, but also wild card. You know, possibilities. You need to win against them, and then and then you measure yourself against the world champions. Um, go back to to New Orleans. Breeze reportedly has five broken ribs: three on the left side, two on the right side, and a punctured lung. I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, but I can't see him coming back for several weeks. Yeah, I don't see how he does that, and I know you know to, to think that he played. Uh, even a even a down like that, much less a two minute drill, is incredible to me. I don't, I don't know how smart it was, but you know, um, I knew you know a guy that, that does broadcasting for us here. Dave Moore was a tight end, a long snapper for years with the Bucks, and I remember talking to him about cracking a rib and puncturing a lung, and uh, there's just there's no easy recovery from that. I mean, he thought he was going to die, and, and you know, it's it's, it's very difficult. Um, that's a severe injury, especially for a guy that went out there with a cracked rib and came, came out of the game with several more. So um, as tough as he is, and I know he beats the time clock every time he's injured, uh, they're going to need some they're going to need some play from their other quarterbacks. And, you know, Jason Hill obviously will, will be back there a little bit, but I think they're going to turn to Jameis Winston. And, you know, a lot of people question, um, including myself, sort of why – uh, he would he would take this on. I'm not sure what other opportunities he had out there, quite frankly. But you know, he goes to New Orleans, um, and you know, he's he's got the great play caller in Peyton, and obviously great talent around him. Best talent he's had, I would argue. Um, you know, he had some good stuff here in Tampa, but with everything that they have going there, this is a tremendous opportunity for Jameis Winston. They're playing Atlanta twice in the next three weeks. Sandwiched around a game with Denver. Um, you know, those are those are teams with losing records, although Atlanta's playing well of late. And, you know, Jameis Winston can really put a stamp on his career if he can, 
um, do something similar to what Teddy Bridgewater did a year ago, which is, you know, keep this thing afloat. On the other hand, you know, if he goes out there and starts turning the ball over and they lose a game or two, it can wind up costing them the division. So it really is going to be interesting to see, you know, how the Saints sort of navigate this. But, uh, you know, that's why they went out and got him. Well, you know, you know what it's like, Rick. Everybody get, gets labels. Oh, yeah, that's the guy that this, and that's the guy that the Jason, Jameis Winston comes in with a, a turnover attached to his reputation. There, there's no denying it. He had 30, I think, last year with Tampa. So the alternative is Tyson Hill, who's thrown 20 balls this year. I like the guy. I think he's very versatile, and, and he's really an asset to New Orleans. But can you afford to start him at quarterback? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he's, he, he plays so many roles, and, and he's such a, an evolution of their offense. He's such a big part of that. And I think, again, both of them will play. But when you look at the resumes and you see a guy that's been a starter in this league for five years, threw for over 5,000 yards last season, can't dismiss the 30 interceptions or the you know 112 points off turnover or turnovers that he made. I mean, that's certainly got, got him a, a ticket out of Tampa. Um, but by the same token, he's played an awful lot of football, you know, and uh, he's thrown a lot of passes and he's had success. Jameis Winston could rip it. I mean, he could he could go out there and light, light it up, too, just as easily as, as, as those old mistakes could creep in. Somewhere he needs to find, you know, a happy medium where, you know, he, he, he doesn't have to be the reason that they win the game, but he, he definitely can't lose it for him. And so, you know, if he can do that, and, and let Sean Payton, you know, work his magic. And, and you know, Sean certainly has been around Jameis long enough to know what he's about. Um, I, I think I think people might be surprised. I mean, as good as Teddy Bridgewater is, and I really like Teddy's game, he, he doesn't have that dynamic playmaking ability that Winston does. Um, but it just has to be corralled, and he has to understand that, you know, the slightest little hiccup, uh, they could see themselves getting passed by the Buccaneers if the Bucks have two really good weeks here. So I, it's going to be a real fascinating, um, you know, sprint to the finish here in the South. Yeah, as you well know, Rick, this is the year that uh, unless they change it at the end, this is the year that somebody's going to get a bye, and and right. and that's like you know that that's that's big. That's that's the Golden Globe, man. That's important. And so now you have Seattle has come back to the pack. Now you've got New Orleans. Right now, New Orleans is tied with Green Bay at seven and two, but the right. Bucks are right there. Arizona's right there. Uh, the Rams are right there, and obviously Seattle is right there. I mean, this is going to be a heck of a run to the finish. It is, and they all kind of play each other a little bit too. You know, there, there's a lot of common opponents. Um, you know, certainly the AFC West. You know, have all played each other a couple times, and still some games remaining in that division. Um, you know, I, I know there's, you know, in the South, they, they still have a number of games with each other. I mean, obviously Tampa is done with New Orleans. Um, so, you know, those those division games are, are huge. And I, I just think it's going to sort itself out. And, and, and again, as great as Kyler Murray is, and, and they could win that division, um, I still think that when you, when you really get down to it, those organizations, maybe even Russell Wilson, who, you know, they're obviously not playing well right now, but the, the coaches and the experienced quarterbacks that know what December is about, that know what January is about, I think that's why Tom Brady is here. I mean, Tom Brady's not here for any other reason than to, you know, than to get them into the playoffs and then go deep into the playoffs. And so, you know, that, uh, you know Aaron Rodgers, I mean, those guys – 
um, are going to show up in December. And, and the season does sort of begin this week. Uh, and, you know, Bruce Arians told his team after they lost um, to New Orleans that, hey, our playoffs have just begun. You know, we feel like if we're going to win this division, we're going to have to run the table. And once they get past Kansas City uh, after that game, they're looking at Atlanta twice, which is playing better, and then Detroit. And so, you know, you can see where um, – why these next two games are really going to tell the story of the 2020 Bucks. I look at um, at the certain characteristics of players. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of an idiosyncrasy, maybe. I don't know. Jared Goff, uh, I can't make up my mind. I mean, he's going to play against Tampa next Monday. The guy looks like he's an all-world quarterback sometimes and much less in other times. And I'm told by the people that cover the Rams that the Rams love going west to east to play games against East Coast teams. I mean, we'll see what happens when they play Tampa Bay, but in view of what's at stake for both of these teams, this becomes a critical game. Yeah, and these organizations have played a lot of critical games. It's kind of interesting going back all the way to, you know, 79 and the, the NFC Championship games and, you know, the, the one in, in 99 with Tony Dungy and, you know, that greatest show on turf that, uh, you know, the Bucks led 6-5 to five and, um, you, know, you saw a great Monday night game the year after that. Kurt Warner win a shootout. So they, they played some games. But don't forget, the Bucks with Jameis Winston went out west a year ago to play the Rams and put 55, put a double nickel on them. Hmm. I'm sure the Rams remember that. And, and their defense is much better. As far as Jared Goff goes, look, you know, you got to have some help in the running game. When the Rams are able to run the football, like any quarterback, he's a, he's a lot better. And you know, Sean uh, does such a great job, McVay, with, um, you know, all the motion and, you know, the eye discipline that you have to play with when you face those guys, that he creates some, some great looks for Jared Goff. Um, and, you know, they've still got plenty of weapons on that side of the ball uh, with Cooper Cup and, you know, Robert Woods and Tyler Higbee, who's from Tampa Bay, from East Lake High School here in Tampa, and, you know, they're, they're a handful on offense. Even in that game when, when it got away from them, they were still scoring points right up until. Um, so, you know, it is a big game. And, and the other thing that I didn't know until recently was that Sean McVay's never lost a game that he led at halftime. <laughs> so you better get him early. Uh, he makes adjustments. We know he has the photographic memory. And they was talking to Bruce Arians. He just, the guy does an unbelievable job of making adjustments, obviously, um, in the game. So... It's going to be a great one, and, and you know, you, you know, for the Bucks standpoint, really for America's standpoint, the fans that have to turn in Monday night, you hope it's not another you know omelet that they lay, uh, just because you know you want to see good football, and, and these these are real you know two pretty good teams, and um, I think it should be a good one. Well, you, you don't know about the Rams left tackle Andrew Whitworth. He got hurt on Sunday. I don't know what his status is right now, uh, yeah. but you can't avoid. Looking across the line, if you're Tom Brady, and there is Aaron Donald, arguably the best defensive football player in the league. Yeah, and I think the, the, I think you know he was the best player in the league last year when they hung 55 on him. And I, I think the key is, you know, Aaron Donald, quite frankly, doesn't play the run all that much, and nor, nor does it matter um, as dynamic as he is as a pass rusher and as disruptive as he is. I think you have to run the ball at him, and and you know. When the Bucks are playing well, that offensive line, and we'll see if they have Ali Marpet back, but that offensive line comes off the ball and they move people. And, 
you know, Jones is a big physical guy, but he's also, if you get him to the second level and he makes somebody miss, we saw his speed. He was running, Howard, he's running 21 miles an hour on that run. Wow. Um, I don't think I can bike that fast. I'm not <laughs> kidding you. Um, you know, so, you know, th- you know that's going to be, I think, what you have to do uh, to slow down those great pass rushers is you put your head down and, you, you know, you just run right at them and, and, and try to, you know, try to kick their legs out and get them tired and make them move and do things out other than rush the passer and stay away from those, you know, those third and longs because we saw how that goes with New Orleans Saints. You can't get your 42-year-old quarterback sacked three times, hit nine other times, mm-hmm. and, and not trusting his protection to where he's throwing a ball out there too quick. So, yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a real uh, physical game, and and I just think that you know that as as it is in football, the teams that win the line of scrimmage. They all got good enough players outside around them, and a quarterback. Um, those are gonna, that's going to be the team that wins this game. I'm in the car on Sunday, and uh, on Sirius uh, NFL Radio, they happen to be carrying the Tampa Carolina game, and my friend Gene Deckerhoff is calling the play when Ronald Jones, heretofore is going to be known as Rojo, <laughs> because that's what Deckerhoff called him, all the way 98 yards for a touchdown. So I texted Deckerhoff. Uh, later that day, and I said, please tell me who Rojo is. I mean, I found out, but <laughs> y- you lost me, man. <laughs> yeah, Gene, we love Gene. Gene's been around for a while. He's, you know, touchdown Tampa Bay, touchdown Tampa Bay. Yeah, you know, he's just, uh, he gets excited. Um, but Rojo has got some mojo, as they say, here in Tampa. And it's Ronald Jones, and, you know, he looks like he's going to run for a 1,000 yards this year. And haven't had that since Doug Martin. And, you know, um, he's held off the challenges of Leonard Fournette and, and you know, Shady McCoy. And, you know, sometimes competition does that for you. You forget, you know, when he came out of USC, he was barely 21 years old. So he's developed. And uh, and right now, you go back and watch the games that they played well, uh, he's been at the forefront of it. You know, he's been the guy um, sort of, you know, making that defense have to respect the play action. And we know there's not a better play action quarterback the Tom Brady, and you know, and he, he makes him defend everything. You know, the short pass, the outside, inside. Um, you know, he can threaten you with with so much, but he's got to get that separation from the line of scrimmage. And the way you do that is you run the football. And I think you'll see because they only rushed it uh, NFL low four times in a kneel down, which is unbelievable, right? Against the Saints on that Monday night a week ago. Uh, so Byron Leftwich has uh, gotten religion. And uh, um, I, I would expect to, to see them want to stick with a better game plan and, and, and you know, and try to try to run the football. A couple of years ago, I'm doing a, a national radio game with Tony Baselli, uh, and we go on the field before the game, and he knew Byron left, which he was a backup quarterback to Roethlisberger at the time. And I said, Byron, I said, which one? Because they were in shorts and t-shirts. I said, which one of those guys on the field is Antonio Brown? He says, just look for the fastest. That's the guy who's Antonio Brown. I said, okay. (laughs) And I kept remembering that. And, man, alive, that guy's got some wheels. No doubt about it. He does. And and Byron, you know, they were teammates. He's got three other teammates on the coaching staff. They believe in him. You know, let's see if he can, you know, do the things off the field. I mean, we were reading about an incident, you know, that happened just two weeks before he joined the team with, you know, throwing – bashing a camera in his gated community surveillance camera and throwing a bike at a guard shag him. I don't know, you know, the Bucks seem to have known about it. 
Um, but you know, th- those anger issues aren't aren't that far under the surface. But uh, you know, if, if Brady is going to let him live with him and drive him to work every day and make sure he does everything off the field, there's no question. No one's ever doubted Antonio Brown's ability, and yep. you know that's why so many teams wanted him. Uh, he's he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's got Hall of Fame numbers, um, and he can still play. I, I think that's the thing that showed up, you know, last week is that. Um, you have to respect his speed. You have to respect his hands and his playmaking ability. So, um, you know, he'll be a good addition so long as, as they can keep him, you know, dialed up the right way. Appreciate your time as always, Rick. Uh, you have a great day and stay safe. All right, Howard. Thank you. Rick Stroud from the uh, Tampa Times. I I admire talent. I really do. And nothing is more exciting to me than seeing talent on the field. And what I saw the other night in the Buffalo game with Arizona, man, a lie, that was something. Hello. Oh, Kent, it's Howard. David, how are you? Good, how are you, Howard? We're doing well. Uh, We are live and ready to rock and roll. And I got to ask you right off the bat, have you ever seen an NFL game end more dramatically than what you saw Sunday? Kent Summers is from the Arizona Republic, covers the Arizona Cardinals. Um, I, I didn't know this. When it was said, uh, I don't know who was doing the game on television, but they mentioned that uh, DeAndre Hopkins has size 10 hands. <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> it's like, I, I, don't, I mean, yeah, we, we've done stories on him in the preseason about those hands. Somebody said that he wore like six XL size gloves. So I think he knows how to use them, obviously. When the trade was made between Houston, and I'm not the only one, I'm thinking to myself, Bill O'Brien, the general manager, just betrayed Bill O'Brien, the head coach. How do you trade DeAndre Hopkins, certainly among the top three receivers in the league? I don't care what the problem is. you got to fix it. You can't let this guy leave, right? Right. You've got to make that work. Look, you've got to make it work with your star players. And to trade him and not get a number one pick in return, and you look at it from a Cardinals perspective, they don't give up a number one. They get rid of David Johnson and his hefty contract. I mean, he's making about $10 million this year and hasn't been real productive in four years. And they get DeAndre Hopkins back to to pair with Kyler Murray. I mean, it was a heist then. And this week was really funny. There was a Cardinal fan who tweeted, who uh, made up a picture of the Cardinals inducting Bill O'Brien into their ring of honor at the stadium. (laughs) That's great. That's very good. uh, Kyla Murray, you look at him and you say, this is a football player? Uh, Yeah. And what's your problem? I mean, look, I think Patrick Mahomes is Magic Johnson on the football field, particularly when he throws a behind-the-back pass. But I'm not saying that Kyla Murray's not that far behind. No, and only in his second year, and he's just as fun to watch. And, and the, the thing is, he's, he, he's, he's on target to be the first NFL player to throw for 4,000 yards and rush for 1,000. He's, he has 10 rushing touchdowns already. He's been amazing. And yet, if you've seen him play every week, you think, you know, he's been a little bit off with his passing. He, we, we've seen him more accurate than he has been 
uh, a lot through this season. So there's room for growth even in the final seven games. It's incredible to say that, but it's but it's true. And and he can throw better on the run. I mean, there's a lot of ways he can he can get better. So the, he's amazingly talented. I've never seen anybody run the ball quite like he does. You know, when he can accelerate so quickly and go from a stop to full speed before you know faster than anybody I've ever seen and, and make NFL defenders look silly and you know and we all know that's not easy uh i gotta t- kent i'll be honest with you before the game the other day i'm saying well you know buffalo they got a they got a pretty good stranglehold on the afc east and i kept thinking to myself you know what this could be a bad game for buffalo and i kept thinking i like arizona in this game and it was only it was a sh- not much of a lead at halftime for buffalo and then arizona exploded in the third quarter three weeks have been let's just say nail-biting um i mean you beat the seahawks after uh, i take it back uh no you beat the seahawks i had that right the first time um 37 34 in overtime uh then the dolphins get the cardinals in arizona 34 31 in this game sunday 32 30 uh, my, and then uh, guess what look who comes up on the horizon on thursday but those seahawks again Seattle's defense is suspect at best, but four weeks ago we were tatting Russell Wilson to the MVP, and three of the last four weeks he's thrown a total of seven interceptions, and they've lost three of those four games because of that. And look, I'm not yeah, pointing my fi- I'm not pointing my finger. It's uh, a few weeks ago we were saying Seattle's the number one team in the NFC, and they were. But now with the number one seed getting a bye, the prize is is important. And where Seattle had a stranglehold on it, now all of a sudden it's Arizona, it's the Rams, it's Seattle, it's Green Bay, it's New Orleans, it's Tampa Bay, and somebody's got to emerge as the number one seed. But there is a dogfight to get that prize. 
yeah, it's it's wide open. There's not a dominant team, and then you know you have to wonder how the Saints play with Drew Brees banged up. You know the Packers have looked vulnerable. I mean, it's you don't see the the level of teams really that maybe you do in in the AFC, especially with uh, the Chiefs and and Pittsburgh. So yeah, it it is wide open. Everybody's got some some serious flaws. I think it's it's going to go down to the the seventeenth week of the season. Getting back to Drew Brees, based on what I'm hearing, and I'm not a doctor. My mother wanted me to be a doctor, but I'm not a doctor. And you look at three cracked ribs on the left, two cracked ribs on the right, a punctured lung. I mean, you're looking at, at several weeks that he's going to be out of commission. You would think so. I mean, I, I, I've seen guys come back from amazing things, but when you've got multiple rib fractures and, and a punctured lung, you would you think that would keep you out for you know two or three weeks at the very least. I mean, I think it would keep me away from my laptop for that long, much less play football. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, I look at this Arizona team, and, you know, I don't see them every day. I mean, I see, I watch Red Zone a lot, and I see highlights, and some, and I watch some games when they're available to me in the East. But a lot of talk about Murray, I get it. A lot of talk about Hopkins, I get it. But people are ignoring Kenyon Drake. This guy can flat out play. Yeah, he's struggled a little bit early it looked like he was hesitant wasn't finding his holes even <laughs> it told us even his mother was getting on him you know before a game she the night before a game she said are you gonna are you gonna hit the holes tomorrow you know so when your mom when your mom's telling you that you know you probably have an issue he's been banged up a little bit had a fumble last week but really bounced back from it but they have a nice one-two punch there with with Drake the starter, and they bring Chase Edmonds in in relief and in a lot of their third down packages, and he's very explosive. And their offensive line has played really well. Sean Kugler, their coach, who came in to work with Kingsbury a year ago, has done an amazing job with that group. It's a it's a pretty smart veteran group. They they protect Kyler Murray very well. They run the ball. You know, most of their issues aren't on that side of the ball. Um, it's it's defensively where they had to rebuild, and now they've, you know, they lost Chandler Jones, their their great pass rusher, you know, to a bicep tendon, and Corey Peters, their best defensive lineman, is probably out for the rest of the season after a knee injury Sunday. So they've got some issues on that side of the ball. We're we're liable to see a, a, another shootout Thursday night in Seattle. Would I if I said that the Arizona defense was a little bit underrated? Would that be fair under Van Joseph's defense in particular? You know, they're sort of middle of the road, and, and you think, okay, you know, they're average. But they, they have shown a knack for, for playing well in tight situations and bouncing back. Like I mentioned, against Seattle a couple of weeks ago, Sunday, uh, against Buffalo, they've, they've done a nice job of making adjustments along the way. And, and they finally got their secondary healthy. Um, you know, they're, they're intact back there, and Buda Baker, their, their safety is – you know, is, is playing at such a high, high level, and he makes that whole thing go uh, back there. He's a lot of fun to watch. And so they still have some talent on that side of the ball, but it's getting thinner. Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic. Tell me about Cliff Kingsbury. Tell me about his demeanor. Tell me about uh, what, what, what you see when you listen to him talk. He's pretty boring with us, <laughs> with the media. You know, he's not... <laughs> He doesn't. He doesn't open a vein and tell you everything uh, that's going through his mind or everything that happened to him in a day or go into the 
very professional, but he's, you know, his press conferences are, are abbreviated, let's just say. He's, but but it's, he, he's made a pretty smooth transition to the NFL. You know, I wondered what hiring a college coach, what, what that would look like, especially one that, that never won and was fired at his alma mater for losing. But he, he's really come in very quickly, won over the players. They like him a lot. He, he wasn't stubborn with his system. He adapted it to the NFL when assistant coaches last year said, look, you know, we've, we've got to incorporate tight ends more into this offense and run the ball more than we are. We are, you know, we just can't line up and, and four wides all the time. It's not working. He, he listened and he adjusted and, you know, I, he, he's humble enough to do that. And we all know, you know, that's not always the case with, with any kind of coach. So I, you know, he's got, had some game management issues. We saw those Sunday when, when they didn't run the ball at all with having a lead and four and a half minutes left in the game. And, and they gashed Buffalo for over 200 yards rushing. And, and you know, then they call three straight pass plays. There have been things like that throughout this season that I think need to be fixed or he needs to be more self-aware of. But, yeah, so far so good. It's, you know, both gambles they took after that 2018 season, you know, from dipping into the college ranks and hiring Kingsbury to trading Josh Rosen and taking Kyler Murray number one. You know, they're bold moves, and, and they both have paid off for the, for the Cardinals. Well, we've already talked about they're playing with the Seahawks on Thursday, and then they go on the road and play New England. Uh, New England's not a playoff team, but anytime you go up against a Belichick team, you got to be prepared. And then they come home and they play the Rams. So the next three games really will tell the story of the Arizona Cardinals season. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, you know, I, I, I really do think this is going to go down to the wire. I mean, after that Rams game in three weeks, they go to the Giants, then they finish up with the Eagles, San Francisco, and then the Rams again. So a lot of NFC games within that time. So if they're not in first place in the, in the NFC West, they'll be, you know, those games will determine whether they get a wild card uh, bid or not. Um, not a not a murderer's row of opponents to finish the season, but, you know, the Cardinals have shown this year they can, they can lose to anybody. I mean, they were beaten at home by Detroit, by Miami, they lost to Carolina on the road. Teams, all those teams, they felt like they were better than. So, you know, it's this team isn't so dominant that it can go out there and and just play mediocre and, and win a game. Kent, I appreciate your time. Hopefully, I'll talk to you down the road. Thanks again, and stay safe. Thanks for having me, Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic. That's an interesting team, man. I'm telling you, they uh, they 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 can hurt you. You got a guy like DeAndre Hopkins who can stretch the field like he does, or Kenyon Drake who could run it and take it to the end zone from anywhere on the field, and Kyler Murray. I mean, this little son of a gun, man, he is impressive. Honest to goodness. But, you know, things. the reason why they call that thing that they play with the ball an oblique spheroid is because it takes funny bounces. Understand that. And nothing changes when it comes to the way the ball bounces, and it bounces funny, and you see to yourself, what the heck is going on here? But, you know, that aside. Hello. Oh, Steve, it's Howard. David, how are you? Good, Howard. How are you doing? Uh, we are live and ready to rock and roll, and I got a question. I mean, look. Four, three weeks ago, I'm saying to myself, well, you know, it's the Seahawks division. They're going to run away with it. They're going to get the number one seed. 
And in three of the last four games, obviously the most recent loss to the Rams, um, Russell Wilson has thrown, I think, seven interceptions in three of the last four weeks. What do you attribute that to? Well, there are probably a number of things, Howard, and I'm with you. Three weeks ago, I would have said, you know, we're we're on our way here, and now it's uh, the biggest the biggest obstacle will be uh, injuries, and that has turned out to be part of the issue. Uh, part of the issue is our our defense is um, getting a, a little better, but in very small increments, and not enough right now to where we can we can make the other mistakes that we're making. Well, the, the problem was we went five and zero uh, by not turning the ball over. I think Russ had thrown one interception uh, in those first five games and 20-something touchdowns. Uh, and now in the last two games he's thrown, well, we've had seven uh, interceptions, seven turnovers. He's been sacked 11 times. He got knocked down uh, 34 times in the last two weeks. Now, not, not all of that, people are going to think, well, that's on the offensive line then. Well, no, it's not. It's uh, Part of it is on the offensive line, and we've had uh, uh, some injuries up there. Lost our center. He didn't play last week, although the backup guy did a great job and played almost the entire game on a bad ankle and just refused to, to come out. But part of it is Russ trying to force the ball. Part of it is teams just deciding, okay, we're going to take away D.K. Metcalf. And the Cardinals did that a couple of weeks ago with Patrick Peterson. Uh, Ramsey did it. Uh, Jalen Ramsey did it against D.K. this last week. Uh, and we just have to be able to find other guys. And some of those guys were open, and we just didn't find them. But mostly it's, it comes down, in my estimation, to we're – and Pete said this uh, yesterday. We're not a balanced team anymore. We haven't run the ball because we've lost our two starting running backs, but we haven't tried to run the ball very much either. And that's a problem. It puts Russ in a bad spot. And then Russ has made a couple of bad decisions. So, you know, when you look at it in its totality, yeah, we, we started out like, uh, like gangbusters. And we've just made too many mistakes, and we've not adjusted uh, well enough, uh, in my estimation, on a couple of those points. Like having to run the football, you've got to get in there, and you've got you to be successful in keeping that defense honest. Well, I look at, uh, and I'm glad you brought up Metcalf because they did a great job on him. I mean, Ram- Ramsey was phenomenal, and and yet he's so talented and such a big obstacle because he's so big and strong. But he had two receptions for 28 yards. I don't know how many times he was targeted, but I don't think it was many more than that. Yeah, and and you know, in in games past, and I think uh, before, you know, Russ was you know in that in that ballpark of throwing seven or having seven turnovers. Uh, interceptions and a couple of fumbles. Uh, you know, he would have taken some of those shots and and make it a, a competitive game. Let 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 uh, DK go up and, and make a play on the ball. Uh, we he did that. Um, threw it kind of into a crowd uh, once, got picked off, uh, and so he, he, he's. I think at times he's kind of being a little careful. And, and uh, you know, Russ is one of those guys that he has a very short memory. In fact, one of my keys to the game last week was amnesia because that's the word he kept using after the Bills game. You got to have amnesia. You got to forget all that stuff and come back. And but I think that. At times, you know, you're, you're a little less inclined to have amnesia when when there's not been the success that you've had previously, and, and you're kind of, you know, you're struggling just a little bit. And so, I think we need to get DK back involved, and if that means, you know, running him more on crossing routes, trying to get him to run away from guys across the field, use that big body to shield people off rather than just throw a jump ball in the end zone, uh, which is a 50-50 proposition at best. But we need, he's one of our best players. We need to get him back involved more. 
sometimes stats tell the truth, Steve, and sometimes they don't. But I looked at one stat that clearly jumped off the sheet. Wilson was sacked six times. Yeah, and, and you're right. Sometimes they tell the truth and sometimes they don't. And, and uh, you know, there were, there were a couple of times when he hit that back foot, and especially against the Cardinals, and I know we're going to see it again this week, and then against the Bills. They decided to, to try to, to blitz us in different ways, and in, a, in several cases, they just light up, uh, load up the line of scrimmage and with like seven guys, and they pull out three and sometimes four, and the, but the other guys would then really rush hard, and your offensive linemen have to adjust immediately, and it, it becomes a little bit of a difficult proposition there. Also, you're, you know, you're missing a guy like Chris Carson in the backfield, mm-hmm. and Chris was not only great at picking up the blitz, he's a great pass blocker, so is Carlos Hyde, but he is exceptional at getting out of the backfield quickly, catching that ball, especially in a blitz situation, and now he's going to be one-on-one with somebody who's got to come from back in the secondary or a linebacker from the other side of the field to try to make the play on him, and he, he's been around, he diagnoses that, he understands it. You know, we've been playing the last several weeks with a bunch of young kids at running back, and they just haven't seen very much. So I think that that security blanket has hurt, not being able to run the ball well, not being able to have Chris back there to help out uh, and, and to adjust. We need to get the ball out of our hands quicker. Guys have to adjust their routes, especially in those blitz situations. And again, I keep saying it, if we can run the football, you can run right through a blitz uh, if, if you're, you know, if you pick it up right, blocking-wise, and your running back understands what he's seeing. Uh, talking with Steve Rabel, the voice of the Seattle Seahawks. Um, it's not a good thing when your quarterback's a leading rusher in the game. Uh, you, know, you want to say Cam Newton, okay. You want to say Lamar Jackson, okay. But uh, th- that's never a good thing. When you well, look, look, you had the opportunity to uh, at least control your own destiny. You got a tough game on Thursday in a short week with the Arizona Cardinals, and they possess a secondary that's pretty tough. So th- this will be interesting to see how they match up with Metcalf. Yeah, and again, as I said, they did a they did a pretty good job against us. Although, you know, we scored 27 in the first half against them the first time we played them a few weeks ago. You know, they, they made a furious comeback. That, that game was more, I think, on our defense than anybody. They made the comeback. Now, Russ threw a, a very untimely interception in overtime, and it allowed the Cardinals. Uh, he just misread something, and... and uh, Toss it right into the mix. They pick it off, turn around, get into field goal range, kick the game winner at the end of overtime to win that game. But it was a close, hard-fought game. One of the things that when I look at the stats uh, and I see from Arizona, you know, they're they're kind of a middle of the road defense, uh, and they'll try a lot of stuff. They'll they'll bring a lot of blitzes. They'll 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 be not unsound, but they will be very aggressive, and they will make you uh, adjust to that. And we need to, and we need to, you know, we need to kind of dictate. Uh, okay, if they're going to blitz, you know, we got we got the answer to that. So uh, again, I, I go back to the fact that we need to run the ball better. Arizona's given up over 120 yards a game on the ground, mm-hmm. and we need to be able to run not only with Russ. And, you know, a few times last week, especially after an early interception, he decided, okay, you know, he had a chance to run for a big first down, and instead he threw it to the end zone, and it was picked off. And that was a, that was a you know, he, he immediately took that one on his on himself and said, yeah, I, I, I blew it. I made a bad play there. And he knows it. I mean, there's nobody that understands better what's going on out there than Russ. So he knows when he, when he doesn't make a play. And, and he also understands, listen, if my legs can get me there, we'll, we'll use them. 
but I'd sure like to see some of the other guys uh, do a little bit better on the running game than just Russ. Yeah, well, you've already pointed out the close game come from behind loss to Arizona. Have you ever seen a more spectacular catch than DeAndre Hopkins to win the game uh, against Buffalo on Sunday? Well, you know, I've seen a couple of those last-minute heroics out of Aaron Rodgers, and I don't remember the the receiver. I think I think one of them was a tight end uh, a few years ago uh, in Detroit. Uh, one of those long hail marys. So I've seen those kind of plays before, not often. But Hopkins is just a phenomenal receiver. I, you know, you take a look at Houston and what they're going through. Part of it was. You know, they couldn't come to any kind of deal with Hopkins, and so they decided to move him and get what they could for him, which turned out to be not nearly enough. And for Arizona, uh, for, uh, for uh, Arizona, he's, he's just been a godsend uh, at making plays like that for Tyler, uh, Kyler Murray. Uh, he, as I think Murray was saying yesterday, um, he said, I just looked downfield and I saw a pair of black gloves. Out of all those people down there, I saw a pair of black gloves and let it fly. And... I mean, Hopkins has proven over the years he is one of the best, certainly the best receivers in the game, has some of the strongest hands around, and um, he made for that situation, just made for that. He has size 10 hands. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, you start walking does. around, the only thing you got a problem with is getting your shirt sleeves over those hands. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and we got a guy like that, you know, DK is that kind of guy. He needs to get a little bit better on, on hand catching at times. You know, he'll he'll bobble a pass or two every so often. But he's he's the same way. I mean, he's just he, he's so physical and, and he will just run through guys, he'll out jump guys, uh, out sprint people, um, and, and we need to again we we need to have him be that kind of that kind of target for us. Well, the game Thursday, obviously, I don't need to tell you, is a huge game because <laughs> because then after that you got Philadelphia, the Giants, the Jets, and Washington. So you got three out of four of those teams from the NFC least. So you, I mean, you can fatten up on those guys, but the fact of the matter is, you got to get over the most important obstacle because this year the top team in the conference gets a bye, and everybody's shooting for that. Yeah, and and you know we we always have kind of a, and every team thinks this, but it's one thing you got to you got to win your division games, but it's it's uber important to win them when they're at home. Um, you know we go down to Arizona, we lose down there on the last play of overtime by a field goal. We we always play those guys well in Arizona. In fact, this is the first time we've lost down there in a while. They come up here and tend to play us well here in Seattle. So we need to flip the script on that. We need to at the very least split now with Arizona. We're going to have to split with the Rams before the season is over, and we need to take advantage of the 49ers uh, as we get them down in uh, down in the Bay Area at the, at the end of the season. Those are the games that mean the most. I, you know, you can't overlook anybody else that you're playing, and, and as we've seen, the Giants can step up and beat somebody. Um, Washington, you know, they're in they're in some dire straits right now, but uh, but. And the and the Jets are in the same in the same way, but you know we can't overlook anybody. But you, you really need to take care of this one this week. You you have got to win this game at home against a division foe because right now you know we all have six wins. Us, the Rams, the the, the uh, Cardinals all have six wins, except we have two losses in the division now, hmm. and that so that puts us basically in a in a third spot. And we can't we can't afford to be there. We gotta we gotta start getting back on the stick. We've lost three or four. That's unusual. Russell has never lost three in a row since he's been here. So this is this is a big game in a whole lot of ways this week. 
Uh, it's a game of diminutive quarterbacks. Uh, they won't admit to that, but they, they are not the biggest and strongest of guys. But I'll tell you what, they're as competitive yeah. as anybody on the planet. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Well, you get the, you get the uh, and I'm jealous of you, you get to call this game because it can be a really, it's a big game. I'm going to sit and watch every second of it. So good luck, Steve, this week. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it, and stay safe. Howard, thank you. You do the same. Steve Rabel, the voice of the Seattle Seahawks. That's a game. That, that's a big game Thursday, man. I don't know what my wife has planned for me on Thursday, but I ain't leaving the house. Of course, under these conditions with COVID, I'm not leaving the house anyway. And if I do, I'm going to have a mask on. And if you go out and you don't have a mask on, you're stupid. There's no other way to explain it. You're stupid. 249,000 people are dead. Do not go out of the house without a mask. Plain and simple. Listen to the scientists. Period. Have a great day. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.